first primary a second chance. <laughs> New Hampshire's fiercely independent voters weigh in. Trump all the way. I think Nikki is the right person. I'm going to vote whoever isn't Donald Trump. I'm the only one who's not running a basement campaign. For Florida's governor, can he stop a slide? Now we want to finish New Hampshire and come out even stronger. For the former UN ambassador, her best opportunity yet. And for the front runner. The bigger the mandate that we have, the stronger we're going to be. The polling position to steamroll. From diner politics to bragging rights in primary history, New Hampshire heads to pick a president, and we are taking you there. Are you guys ready? This week in South Florida, on the road, the campaign trail stops in New England, live from New Hampshire. Good morning, South Florida, and welcome to New Hampshire, and welcome to the State House uh, State House Visitor Center. I was going to tell you, we are in the primary room. We are so grateful they opened the State House for us today in New Hampshire, and we'll take you all around in just a few minutes. Boy, what a difference a state makes. This time, all eyes are on New Hampshire, and the landscape is so much different than it was in Iowa. And the landscape is so much different than it is in Florida as well. This state is far less partisan than we know in Florida, and also that's what makes the independent vote so critical here. 40% of people in New Hampshire, voters, are independent and can vote. And we're going to talk all about that. But first, we're going to talk about how critical the next 48 hours to primary day is to this election season. We start right there. In the diners, on street corners. <laughs> New Hampshire primary politics are hot, even in single-digit cold. And it's cold. This line started 10 hours before frontrunner by far Donald Trump takes the arena stage. Are you guys ready for a Trump rally? Though we find a significant number of Trump loyalists drove hours from elsewhere, surrounding states. A Trump rally's the greatest show on earth. Though Tuesday, it's up to New Hampshire voters, uniquely independent in perspective and party affiliation, live free or die across the top of every license plate, and there to shape the campaign narrative after Iowa's conservative landscape. Hello, Iowa. The New Hampshire math has changed, especially for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis polling in single digits here. The governor puts a positive spin on all but writing off New Hampshire, where culture warrior branding doesn't play broadly, and focusing on taking South Carolina primaries next month, trying to hand a loss to former governor there, Nikki Haley, in her own state. I beat Biden by 17 points. Haley has the most to gain in New Hampshire. 40% of voters here are undeclared, no party voters, who skew moderate, want government as out of their lives as possible, and are eligible to vote in either party's primaries if they choose. Even at this point, I'm sort of undecided. I am going to make sure that in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States again. Former New Jersey governor and outspoken Trump critic Chris Christie may be a factor. He was polling second to Trump in New Hampshire before he suspended his campaign. Who gets his anyone but Trump voters? Likely Nikki Haley. I'm crossing party lines. You are 
crossing party lines to vote for a particular candidate, but also to be a disruptor a little bit. <laughs> Getting a bit less attention here, the Democratic side of the primary. Because New Hampshire decided to keep its first primary status against National Democratic Party rules after changing their calendar, frontrunner Joe Biden technically didn't file here. Lesser known Democrats did. We want to make sure that we stand up. New Hampshire politics are personal. They want to see and hear candidates face to face and over and over. Though the political atmosphere here has changed with the polarized times. We are really at the point where I, I just don't discuss it with anybody um, because if I have any sort of alternating view, people are very unkind. Hmm. You know, the first primary in the nation may well hinged on undeclared voters. We in Florida call them NPA, no party affiliation. Four in 10 in New Hampshire are undeclared. And unlike in Florida, they can vote in whichever party primary they choose. That is a huge variable and just one of the things so unique about New Hampshire. And we have a great panel here to talk all about that. With us today, straight out of Miami, Max Greenwood, who is the political reporter at the Miami Herald, and Dante Scala, who is professor of political science at the University of New Hampshire, and somewhat of a primary expert, as I've been finding as a reading. I'm so glad you both are in today on a Sunday. Thanks so much for being here. So we have a lot to talk about, and, um, and always through a South Florida lens because of what we do. And we have two Florida men in this race. And uh, one of them, the governor, Governor Ron DeSantis, I want to talk a little bit about the trajectory of the governor's campaign. Dante Scala, he came out of Iowa in second place, but way below numbers of Donald Trump and, um, and had no numbers to speak of coming into New Hampshire and kind of left and went on to South Carolina. That was his strategy. He's coming back today. He canceled. Um, I, his campaign is kind of in flux day by day, it seems like. Ballpark, what is happening with Governor DeSantis's candidacy here? Well, his candidacy here has been on standby for months now. I mean, he's been out of sight, out of mind in New Hampshire because he's been so focused on making an impact in the Iowa caucuses. Is that a bad move for him? Well, it's. I think he saw that as his only move. What's striking about the, re the primary calendar is. Iowa Republicans and New Hampshire Republicans are very different from each other. Like many more religious conservatives in Iowa than in New Hampshire. To just give one example. Yeah. So sometimes campaigns make a choice, and they decide where's our best way to kind of break through. And DeSantis, for better or worse, chose Iowa, and as a result, New Hampshire was put on the back burner. So for the last few months, we've been hearing about Nikki Haley all the time. Chris Christie somewhat, Donald Trump, of course, all the time. But Ron DeSantis has not been a story because he just hasn't been here. He hasn't been on the air and so forth. So you come to New Hampshire out of Iowa, and you really just don't have much to fall back on and you only have a week to make something happen. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because Iowa conservatives, I think his campaign thought were much more like Florida conservatives. Uh, Max, we've been covering the governor for a long time and we saw his imprint on the state legislature taking Florida very conservative in policy. Um, you know, does, does that play here as well as it plays in Iowa? And if not, what happens now? You know, it really doesn't play in New Hampshire as well as it plays in Iowa or, or Florida, for that matter. We actually just published a story this morning. Um, I spent the past several days talking to dozens of New Hampshire voters, asking them what they think of the governor's war on wokeness, the, these culture war issues. 
uh, critical race theory, DEI. Uh, you haven't heard that word here at all. Woke. Very, very seldom. Very <laughs> yeah. seldom. And look, a lot of voters will tell you it's not that I don't think it's important. It's just not that important. It's not the issue I'm voting on. I keep hearing immigration and the economy. And border. Yeah, the, border they use the word border. We call it immigration. Here they call it the border. Do you, do you get the, the distinction between that? Oh, yeah. You yeah. can't help but get the distinction because Max's point is well taken. I mean, on the air, in mail pieces, it's all about the border. And also just the, the difference, you know, New Hampshire Republicans tend to be very ambivalent and very cautious about talking about social issues like abortion, gay marriage, and so forth. They prefer not to talk about those things, and they prefer their candidates, including their presidential candidates, to put those things, uh, again, kind of secondary, not front and center. You know what I find so fascinating about that? I, I th you say that, and I think, live free or die. You see that on all the license plates. That's the state motto. And, and Governor DeSantis, and, and actually every candidate, talks about freedom and personal freedoms. But personal freedoms to one might be different personal freedoms to others, and I think New Hampshire takes that freedom that, to libertarian lengths, stay out of my business. And so, the, especially the abortion issue, what I think a lot of people are going to think that for Republicans and for Democrats, the abortion issue and the abortion rights issue will be a, a huge draw to the polls. Is that here? Uh, it was a big issue in 2022. I mean, the midterms, I think, were dominated by the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And it certainly, it, what social issues do in New Hampshire is energize Democrats, and, but it divides Republicans. Because you find a lot of New Hampshire Republicans right in that kind of mushy middle when it comes to abortion. They, mm. They're ambivalent. They feel two ways about it. They think there should be some restrictions, but not too many. Whereas Democrats, they know exactly where they stand. Yeah. Um, the thing that we saw coming out of, especially in polling, out of Iowa, not only the numbers of supporters, but the numbers of enthusiastic supporters, the enthusiasm factor. And we saw last night at the arena, um, not, not a fully packed arena, but a definitely packed arena, uh, Donald Trump had one of his signature rallies. We saw people waiting in single-digit temperatures for literally 10 hours. Max, the enthusiasm factor for these candidates into New Hampshire seemed to sort of only change with Nikki Haley. Correct, correct. I, I, I mean, look, it's hard to compete with Donald Trump for, for, for a captive audience. I, I went to a Trump rally here in Concord on Friday night. I talked to one woman who had been waiting outside since 1 p.m. Um, it, was, it was probably 15 degrees outside, so she was freezing, trying to warm up her hands, but she wanted to see the president. Nikki Haley is getting quite a bit of a uh, bit of attention right now. Uh, I saw her yesterday at a couple stops, and, and she's packing smaller smaller venues, but certainly filling them up in a way that Ron DeSantis just hasn't managed to. So I think there's a lot of momentum behind Nikki Haley's candidacy here in New Hampshire right now. The question becomes, can she parlay that into, into enthusiasm going forward? It is the enthusiasm for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire with Republicans, because there are Republicans who may be looking for an alternative to Donald Trump. To me, if they're conservative Republicans, I would ask why not Ron DeSantis, since that's kind of his lane. But looking for, especially uh, the undeclared, who might be a bit more moderate, it, Nikki Haley is the Trump alternative vote in New Hampshire, full stop, is she not? Yeah, there's a real, we saw, we saw this in Iowa, we're seeing it here too in New Hampshire polling. Moderates and conservatives 
both Republicans kind of live in two different worlds when it comes to Donald Trump. Moderates tend to be rather anti-Trump, but conservatives, and they'll make up the most of the electorate. You know, they're not, they're, there are a lot of moderates here, more than in Iowa, but still the conservatives are important. They are, they are lined up behind Donald Trump. And to me, that's always going to be the lost opportunity for Ron DeSantis because he's certainly lined up as being the conservative alternative to Donald Trump. But Haley right now, she's kind of stuck in the moderate lane. And she's got to figure out a way either to cross over, grab some of those conservatives, or expand the number of moderates by bringing in some of those independents you were talking about. Yeah, for a general election, that would be a feather in her cap, not so much for a, a conservative Republican primary, in, unless moderate independents can vote in it. Like here, okay, we need to take a quick break. I really want to talk about that independent vote. That is so fascinating here. Quick break, and we will do that when we come right back. We are back in the uh, visitor center of the New Hampshire State House, such an historic building we will talk all about. Right now, we're talking about all of the uniqueness of the very first primary in the United States with Max Greenwood from the Miami Herald, Dante Scala from the University of New Hampshire. Dante, the independent vote I find so fascinating in this state. Not because we're not used to in Florida independent votes, and a th about a third of Floridian voters are uh, here. It's almost 40%, but they can vote in a party primary. And so, what a variable that is to the outcome. What, what's prognosticate that for us? What are, what are you seeing with that independent vote? What are we going to see Tuesday? So, the thing to keep in mind about those undeclared voters who are the real free agents, right, is that they're a, they're a real mixed bag of voters. Yeah. Some of them are actually, you know, Republicans. They, they behave like Republicans. They vote like Republicans. Same with Democrats. Yeah. They just choose to keep their partisanship off the public voter rolls. Oh. But then there's this group who, are really, who I would describe as pure independents. They may, they may not be all that political, but they may show up to vote. And so they're the ones who Nikki Haley right now is hoping will turn out and turn out in droves because she has to make the electorate on Tuesday a little less Republican and a lot more independent. And so, Max, at home, the independents sit back and watch the partisan parties duke it out in the primaries, um, and there is no effect for independents. Here in New Hampshire, as you've been traveling around to the cities, when you find that what Dante is talking about, the people who kind of, you know, it's my business, it's not your business, what are you hearing from them? Look, I, I think I'm really hearing that uh, they're leaning toward Nikki Haley. They are. Uh, mm. I've talked to a lot of folks who are, you know, professed independents, and they'll say, I looked at Ron DeSantis, I've looked at Nikki Haley, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis just doesn't have it. He is, uh, he's, he's too confrontational, he's not personable enough. So you're saying it's the likability factor? I think there's a big likability factor there. Oh. Uh, New Hampshire's big on retail politics, and I'm sure Dante can, can uh, expound on that for us. But yeah. Uh, look, he's, he's not the best retail politician uh, that's kind of been established here for a while. And, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have a clear message that resonates here. So in Iowa, he was talking a lot more about his six-week abortion ban. He was talking a lot more about the culture wars. Here he's talking about uh, uh, kind of 
getting government out of people's lives, which... Which which should resonate here, right? Isn't that what it's live free or die is all about? Yeah, and you know, for DeSantis, it was almost like there was too much too soon. Huh. Like he came in at the beginning of last year as kind of like the, the post-Trump successor. With a lot of money, and at least last year, a year ago, this time, he had, he had numbers. Yeah, I mean, and with that, though, come a lot of expectations. Hmm. So there was, for DeSantis, there were no, no opportunity for training wheels. Like the training wheels had to be off the campaign from the get-go because expectations were so high. And those DeSantis stumbles early on, yeah. really through the first half of the year, kind of weighed on that campaign. And kind of, it almost as if he lost his moment before he even got a chance to grasp it fully. Hmm. You know, the issues we had started talking about I talk to voters, you know, wherever we are all over the country, and there are, are themes. I mean, people, Americans want, you know, to be successful and to be happy and to raise their kids and to have opportunities. That's not a partisan issue. Um, what I find interesting here is a lot of people are talking about the border as an issue. Immigration, I mean, this New Hampshire is a white state. I mean, that 98% white. So immigration, there it doesn't resonate like it would in South Florida, where more than 50% of the people are from somewhere else for various reasons. So Max, um, the issues that voters here are looking for, when they say border, what else do they say? E economy, they, the border is an economic issue to them, it sounds like. It is, I had, I had one man that I talked to bring up uh, a law in Massachusetts that requires the government to provide housing. Um, and he said, look, with all these millions of people flowing over the border, coming up here to New England, uh, it's putting a lot of pressure on state governments to, to deliver those basic needs. But even going beyond that, I was at a Nikki Haley event yesterday, and she was asked by one person, would you support building a wall along the northern border? Uh, she said she would do whatever it had to be done uh, to, to secure that border and, and prevent crossing. I'm, I'm guessing she's not talking about Canadians, but people who might come through Canada she's, that are not Canadians. She specifically yeah. mentioned uh, um, suspected terrorists ah. that had come over across the northern, northern border. So. Look, we're very far away from, from the U.S.-Mexico border. Yes. Very far away from, from uh, you know, Florida's maritime border, but it's still top of mind for people. Top either of for mind. Economic reasons, security reasons, um, just proximity to Canada. Yeah. Um, Dante, I don't, I don't want to end our discussion without talking about there is a Democratic primary here. Mm. However, the Democratic National Committee moved the first primary for Democrats to South Carolina. And New Hampshire said, oh, yeah, it's our state law. We're going first. And so so explain in a minute what's happening. Joe Biden's not even on the ballot here. Does that matter to Democrats? Right. So President Biden basically demoted New Hampshire, right, in terms on the Democratic Party's calendar. But yeah. of course, the Democratic Party doesn't control what the state does. State can hold the event when it wants to. And so the Secretary of State said, no, New Hampshire's going first, no matter what. And now we have some of these same, Dem New Hampshire Democratic leaders are kind of stuck in the middle. They have a strange relationship with Joe Biden thanks to what his decision. However, they still want to show that they're loyal Democrats, perhaps in the hopes that in 2028, they'll be restored to their rightful place. So some of them are running this write-in campaign. It'll be very interesting. We haven't seen anything like this since Lyndon Johnson in does, 1968. Does it, does it matter? Does it matter? Well, you know what? If Joe Biden doesn't get a majority of Democrats to write in his name on Tuesday, I think the national political media, which is really bored right now with this whole nomination contest. They are? 
They are. <laughs> <laughs> and they will say, you know what? All those stories we hear about Biden being weak on the Democratic base, I wonder if there's something to it, because here are actual Democrats not writing in Joe Biden's name. Perception is reality in politics in so many ways. Max Greenwood, Dante Scala, I would love you to stick around for something we're doing at the very close of the show. So appreciate your time and expertise and perspective. Thanks, Glenna. Okay, and um, when we come back, a room with a view. We're gonna give you a little personal tour of where we are. That's so interesting, but first, wanna kick it back to South Florida because Janine Stanwood is standing by in the studio with the big South Florida news of the week. Glenda, thank you so much. So many people say it's long overdue, the money's there, and it's time for action. We go one-on-one -on -one with Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava on the heels of this week's news conference about billion-dollar upgrades coming to Miami International Airport. That is coming up, but first, let's go to a quick break, then back out to Glenna live in New Hampshire. We are broadcasting, I think I might have mentioned, from the New Hampshire State House in the Visitor Center, which is the oldest, still functioning, still used as a legislature uh, capital in the United States since 1819, meaning this is kind of like a living museum. And I want to introduce you to somebody who's kind of like a human Wikipedia of all things New Hampshire primary, Virginia Drew opened up this building for us today. I haven't thanked you enough, but I want you to, this is your baby, this primary wall. This is something I've been wanting you to talk about since we arrived here. Give us a sense of the unbelievable presidential history you have compiled here. So I'm a born New Hampshire native and politics is something that we don't have sports teams, but we do have politics, so growing <laughs> up, you end up really embracing it. That's what they say, it's a contact sport. It <laughs> is a contact sport. So I started here about 24 years ago, and I realized that candidates came in to the building to file in the Secretary of State, and I said, why aren't they coming to the visitor center? This is where we welcome everyone. So I set up a little board with a few things that were from my parents and grandparents. Fortunately, they were Democratic and Republican, so I could have an evenly based board. And then candidates began coming. And so we have welcomed candidates such as your very own Governor Bush, who turned out he was a lot taller than I had anticipated. He is tall. Very <laughs> that tall. is a fact. So yeah. you have, you, you've almost, let, they come to you now. You don't invite them. They, this is a must stop on the trail. And I see everybody signs things. So, and they do sign And take things. pictures. And you can see Governor DeSantis signed what's Interesting is people go, oh, did they scratch it out? So President oh. <laughs> Trump scratched out, but Joe Biden wrote across his. That is actually Donald Trump's signature. I will vouch for that. I've seen that many, Absolutely. many times. And it's on his hats over there. So he's made it here a couple of times, but so has President Biden been here a few times. I, I typically have school groups. There's President Biden on one of his earlier runs for president. 
and he is surrounded by fourth graders here in New Hampshire. You know, looking at this, for anyone who loves politics, it's not a partisan thing. And that's, you know, you like us, you are yes. nonpartisan. I am. And, and sort of take us through how really beautiful that can be when you're not stuck in a partisan fight to come here, look at history, go through, you know, presidential anecdotes, interesting things on the trail. Well, and that is one of the privileges of being in New Hampshire is, and I am completely independent, so I've never make up my mind sometimes until I'm in the polls. So getting to talk to these people who, they are just people. And some of them, when they come in, we are not sure. You know, a first-term senator from Illinois, he's lovely. He brought his wife, a lovely gentleman, did a great rally out front, and we had a wonderful chat. He came in, had taken his jacket and tie off and met with us. Uh, meeting Senator John McCain, that was probably one of the more significant moments, of course, and, and Hillary Clinton when she came in. So we meet big-name people, but we meet folks that we're not that sure will ever resonate into being a president. What I find is everyone's really nice when they're running for office. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a key to running for office. But even back, so there's a, a ticket. I, I had Jimmy Carter came to the Portsmouth High School here, and Ronald Reagan did a rally out front. So I've been kind of trying to meet candidates all along. But now what I get to see is them in off moments where they come in, and sometimes the media's all around them. and. I know there was a routine on Saturday Night Live about Dr. Ben Carson. We had such media frenzy the day he visited. Wow. And when he walked in the room, he literally did, isn't this nice? No. <laughs> and everybody got quiet, and it was super quiet. And that was like the 100th anniversary of us looking to have a primary that year. It was 2016. And right up there, and I've kept it, there he is with his stethoscope that he put in our primary. We had a like boxes that we were going to keep memorabilia through the years, time capsules. He put in his stethoscope after saying he listens to the heartbeat of America. Uh, so I, I just want to take a brief interlude and shout out to Bob Palumbo behind the camera because every time, Virginia, you point something out, you have to find it on that wall. <laughs> Tell me if this desk, um, all right, we're taking you through the set here. Yes, there's the tripod and wires, don't fall. But this desk is just something I really want to talk about because you have actually people what are, what are these candidates doing? They're signing their candidates' they oath are. on the table. So this desk was a really exciting find by our historical committee, and it's the 1819 Secretary of State's desk. They don't so build this like that anymore, they do they? Don't. Bird's <laughs> eye maple. So this year we had all the major candidates, and some of the not-so-major candidates, come and actually sit at the desk and sign our visitor register. And so when you look at the visitor register here, there, there are some big names, and I've been doing this for a while. This is back in 2011. There's Joe Biden in 2012. But if you flip back here, so there's Donald Trump. I love New Hampshire. Dean Phillips. So do so I. Do I. <laughs> um, and this gentleman, Mark Stewart, he's from Connecticut. He runs in our primaries. But there's... The you know, candidates. you had mentioned you're seeing people as, you're seeing candidates as people, not just candidates. Correct. And I wonder, um, I want to come in our last minute or so back over to this really beautiful wall where I know you're, I will say, in, in the wings, Virginia's granddaughters are here. <laughs> and I know you have kids come through in school groups, and this is kind of fun and colorful to look at. I, I want to hear from you. 
What is the civic engagement like for young people here? And meeting, the potential of meeting a candidate as a person is far different and, and more, I and guess, more impactful. Well, and they want to meet candidates. And so my granddaughters have picked out their candidate and they want to go to a rally. And they're only 10 and 8 years old, or 7, excuse me. But they want to meet their candidate. And when the fourth graders come in, they look at the board and they look for their person. Wow. And then they say, this is who we're going to vote for. So something like this is absolutely critical to American history. It is. It is. And the high school students are typically far more engaged. Yeah. We have a lot of high school students that actually go out and work on campaigns, knocking on doors, holding up signs. It's a great New England thing. I, I did that when I was younger. Maybe you'll come to Florida's capital. I don't, I don't think we have a primary wall at you, Florida's capital. You don't, but I have been to Tallahassee. You have. And, you, and I've been to your old capital and your new. It's a beautiful capital, yes. absolutely stunning and gorgeous. Virginia Drew, I can't thank this woman enough for giving us a place inside because, okay, it's, it's not Iowa, but it is cold. <laughs> it is cold. And, uh, and a venue here that we just could not imagine so great for the first primary in the nation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. All right, stay tuned. We are taking you back to South Florida for the big South Florida News of the Week. This week in South Florida continues with Janine Stanwyck next. We are back at the State House in New Hampshire in the Visitor Center and the Primary Wall. And we have one more only in New Hampshire story for you. It takes place as soon as polls open on Tuesday, primary day at midnight. Dixville Notch, a little community to the north of us. They're the very first voters at midnight in the nation in this primary. Uh, all five of them. Mm -hmm. And that is a tradition that they've been keeping since about 1960. Why? Because they can. Hear those cameras clicking? More press than <clears throat> voters in that little room. Supervisor of the checklist, has everybody voted? That's correct. Where the five registered voters in Dixville Notch plan to be the first to vote at the stroke of midnight primary day. Dixville Notch is a rural, unincorporated community in the remote north of the state. Voters last primary were all white, all male. The vote should be in. Uh, as Dixville goes, so goes the country. Actually not. Three of the six votes in 2020 went to former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who wasn't even on the ballot. In 2016, Hillary Clinton won over Donald Trump here four to two. And you know how that went that November. Even if the spotlight wasn't there, we would be doing the same thing. It's sort of become a tradition where we understand the importance of voting. Still, the pride of midnight history and tradition lives in Dixville Notch, in person, in writing, dropped in the box and counted and announced, usually in a matter of minutes. Back now with Dante Scala, professor of political science at the University of New Hampshire. So five people are going to vote at midnight in this little place. And aside from the pride of the history and tradition, so what? You know, it's, it, it really captures the magic of the New Hampshire primary. On the one hand, it's 
this experiment in small town democracy, like this very tiny town way up in the north, northern rural area. Americana. Right, and on the other hand, it's this made, you know, it's this, the national media will surround it and report the results. So kind of New Hampshire is, the primary has over the years kind of developed this relationship with the national media. It's become this made for television event. I, I was gonna say, we've experienced that here because sometimes we're going into places that are kind of iconic in the first primary and there are more visitors from other states and there are actually New Hampshire voters. But in Dixville Notch, in that, it's a precinct, a yep, verifiable right. precinct. Mm -hmm. yep. At midnight on Tuesday, what if only one person comes to vote? Well, then there's four others who are unaccounted for. And so oh. it, it is a voting place like anywhere else. So it'd have to stay, whoever's there would have to stay open <laughs> like all day until 7 p.m., I think in 7, 7 p.m. And so they're, that's why they want to round everybody up. So where's the get out the vote there? They can't send out a car in the snow and make sure everybody gets in? Well, I guess hop on the phone. I guess, I mean, they probably got them all on one text chain. Why do only five registered voters live in Dixville Notch? Well, you know, it's a tiny place and uh, the hotel there shut down. And so there's just, there's not much there to keep uh, people there living in the area. Is, is there a... A progress? Is there a future for them? You know, I'm not entirely clear on that, but hopefully this tradition will continue and the New Hampshire primary will continue. We are so grateful. We're sitting in front of the first in the nation. I know this is such a very big deal to people here, tradition and history, and being steeped in it during the presidential election is really fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, and we will be right back. heated politics and a whole lot of history. Let's send it back to Glenna in New Hampshire who's been giving us just a fascinating look at the politics and the culture there. It really has been, Janine, such a fascinating thing because the first primary in the nation is not only politics, but it is Americana, and it is so important to South Florida. In the end, 48 hours from now, the first primary in the nation right here in New Hampshire. Stay tuned to Local 10 News because we will have it all for you. Later today, Governor uh, Ron DeSantis is in Concord. Uh, we will have that for you tonight on Local 10. As always, thanks so much for being with us this hour. And remember, keep in touch. I'm going to guess what you're going to hope for.